this morning, we are, we're in the books of First and Second Samuel, really just one book. We talked about that in the beginning, but it's, it, was, it was too long, and so they split it into two. But these are Israel's um, days of, uh, of being ruled by judges, coming to an end, and the beginning of the time in which uh, the nation will move into being ruled by a monarchy that will continue for several hundred years before they're exiled to Babylon. Our series and study through these books is titled Lesson from, uh, Lessons from the Kingdom for Today. And, and what we mean by that is, is probably pretty obvious, but the idea is as we make our way through these books, we're looking to understand the obvious and plain meaning of the text and what God was doing at that time in Israel, but, but what it means for us today, what, what God would have us to have ears to hear in our day and time this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we read there the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's part of the reason Pastor Frankie, in his announcements in the Life Group, he mentioned the Old Testament study on Wednesday nights. We, um, many years ago, wanted to open up a, a vein, a place in our church by which we would be making our way through the entire counsel of God. And so we started back in Genesis, and in doing so, we wanted to make the point and reinforce that, that God is not only speaking in the New Testament, that his word is not just there from Matthew to Revelation, but that there's a, a continuity of message and revelation from the very beginning. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so here, even on Sunday mornings, right now we're in a book that is found in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, but we believe that, that there also God's word is to us, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Now, chapter 10, where we're at this morning, it picks up right where chapter 9 left off. That's, that's kind of intuitive. But the people of Israel, of course, have asked for a king. That's what we saw last week when Pastor Steve taught. They basically came to him, the people, to Samuel the judge and said, look, you are old. That's really what it said. That's not very nice, is it? I mean, the people, if you're Samuel, you're just, you kind of get angry at that point, you know. But not really. But he said, look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Samuel, you're not going to be here forever. And your succession plan is not looking too good. Make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So their reasoning, it's good and it's bad. In one sense, they're looking ahead saying, no, Samuel, we don't feel good about what's going to happen when you pass from the scenes. Your sons, they don't fear the Lord. Well, that's good. That's a good reason to question uh, the future and, and who was going to lead them. But then the second half is a problem because essentially what they're saying is we want a king so that we can be like other nations. And it's clarified elsewhere in 1 Samuel chapter 9 where they, they talk about that, that that king would go out and fight their battles for them. In their hearts and minds, really, this request is a departure from trusting in the Lord and the model that he had put in place. Well, the Lord told Samuel not to be upset, though. In chapter 8, verse 7, he said, They've not rejected you, but they have rejected me. 
that I should not reign over them. Israel should have known better, but um, <laughs> even as we're reminded again that our series is titled Lessons, uh, what, what is it titled? <laughs> Lessons from the Kingdom for today, that's what it is. There's a lesson in that for us too, isn't there? I'm sorry, I wish I was joking, I wasn't. I was, it's early, I should have had a second cup of coffee, but I didn't, so we'll press forward. Israel should have known better and how often we find ourselves in places of disobedience and faithlessness and we should know better too. But in, in chapter 9, again, where we were last week, we find that the Lord, he was revealing himself to Samuel and, and uh, showing him the identity of this new king, Saul, who was of the tribe of Benjamin, who at the time was looking for his father's lost donkeys and was seeking a prophet or a seer who could help, someone who could, who could show him where exactly are they because he had been wandering all over the countryside. Well, Samuel the prophet met him and began revealing to him that his life was destined for something far greater than he'd ever imagined. And this morning we'll be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 10. If you've brought your Bibles, you can open up to chapter 10 or scroll there uh, in your device. Our message is titled, The Making of a King. If you grabbed the outline on your way in on the tall table or at the connection table, you can follow along. But I think one of the things that we'll find as we make our way through today's verses are examples and illustrations as to how God works in our lives and the ways in which he's seeking to make us into the men and women that he's called us to be. We're, we're looking at God's hands-on, excuse me, God's hands-on Saul. Forgive me if I interpose Samuel and Saul this morning. I'm bound to do it a few times. We're watching God's hand, his shaping of this, this man who's just chasing donkeys across the countryside into something entirely different, into someone great, a king. And I think in that, we, we will see something of how the Lord is about working in our lives, making us into the people he has called us to be. Because I think it's safe to say, it's, it's fair to say that, that just as Saul was, was on, a, on a path destined by the Lord to become somebody completely other than who he was before, from, from a, a, a chaser of donkeys into the king of Israel, the difference is just as extreme for you and I into who God has, has redeemed us from and, and who he's making us into. Chapter 9 ends in verse 27. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. And then he said to him, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. Let's pray and we'll look at the first nine verses. Father, as we open your word this morning, we're asking that you would cause our hearts our minds to be open to receive those things that you would say to us. Lord, that we would not be hearers only, but doers, Jesus, that we would take your word, what you would speak to us, and that, God, we would put it into action, that, Father, we would live it out. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Our first point this morning is the anointing of a king, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you departed from me today, 
when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased to caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Because it had been some time that Saul had been looking for those donkeys. Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that as you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart, and those signs came to pass that day. So Saul and Samuel have just come down from this big feast we read about in chapter 9 where the prophet tells this the soon-to-be king that, that all the desire of Israel rests upon him. And, and then he anoints him as king, pouring a, a flask, a container of oil over his head. And right after that, this prophet tells Saul three things that are going to happen to him. And each seems to communicate something important to Saul. Likely things that God wanted him to remember as he assumed the throne. First, we read in verse 2, he said to to Saul, Samuel said to Saul, Today you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. These men, as we read, they would uh, pass along the message that Saul's father's donkeys had been found and that in fact he, um, he's now worried about Saul himself. The prophet told Saul to expect that, and, and in fact that would, that would happen. This place, Zelza, it's about five or six miles south of where Saul met Samuel. So what message is there for the king in this, learning that the donkeys have been found? Because some of us might think, what does it matter? He's king now, who cares? Well, it's not like there's some palace to move into at this point. The, 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 the nation is one, certainly, but in terms of being unified under a king, that's a concept that hasn't even been embraced by the people yet. In all likelihood, Saul legitimately is still worried about these donkeys. And I think, I think it's important, and I think it would be powerful, after the prophet has anointed him as king, that then he tells him, that something's going to happen, and in fact, it does in advance. Some of you have had that experience before, and, and that's certainly moving when the Lord does that. Well, I think what God is showing Saul through this in verse 2, these men who would come and confirm the prophet's word, that yes, in fact, the donkeys has, have been found, is that God can solve your problems. Probably an important lesson for the would-be king of Israel. 
At this point in life, this was again Saul's greatest need. His mission had been to find the, the herd of donkeys that had, had, been, had escaped, and, and God knew where they were. It's an important lesson for us, too. That is, that God knows the answers to our greatest needs and that he is able to resolve, to solve our problems. When we're tempted to lean on our own understanding, on the arm of the flesh, we need to trust God that he is able. That's critical for this king to understand before he begins ruling God's people. It's important for you and I as well. Now, secondly, along the way, Samuel tells Saul that at this terebinth tree of Tabor, or some render it uh, the oak of Tabor, we read in verse 3, there are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And, and Samuel told Saul, when you meet them, they're going to give you two loaves of bread. In all likelihood, that bread would have been helpful for the journey home. And I think in this second encounter that the prophet tells Saul to expect, the message would be that God can meet your needs. And I think, again, that would be pretty important for someone who's getting ready to inherit the throne of Israel, to receive it for the first time. Not only is God going to be able to solve your problems, so please trust him, but God's going to take care of your needs. So don't try to fix everything in your own strength. A good king would need to trust God for provision. God's people need to trust him in that way today. You and I do. Thirdly and finally, verses 5 and 6 explain that in the vicinity of this hill of God that the prophet uh, tells him about where the Philistines had maintained a garrison, that down from that hill would come this, this company of prophets carrying instruments and prophesying, and that something really incredible would happen there, that, that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him, and that he, too, would be changed, that God would himself uh, prophesy that rather uh, Saul or Saul himself would prophesy also. God's telling Saul, he's telling Israel's king, God can solve your problems, God can provide for your needs, and God can give you supernatural power because the king of Israel would be in a lot of trouble if he sought to execute that responsibility and to live out that job in his own strength. God was going to give him supernatural power. How are you and I doing in these areas this morning, briefly? Are we trusting God to solve our problems, that he's going to meet our needs? And are we allowing him to empower us to live the life that he's called us to? Or are we living the Christian life in our own strength? A lot of people start out the new year with resolutions, don't we? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really do it this time. But if this time it's still in your strength, you're going to fail. Maybe there, there's some need, some lack in your life. And rather than trust God with that, rather than pray and ask him to provide, you're, you're trying to pull it together on your own. You're trying to push and shove to make it happen. Solving your problems. Verse 7 and let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. And this is kind of interesting because you read that and you sort of go, well, what does he mean by that? It's kind of cryptic. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands. Well, what is the occasion demand for each of those things? For God is with you. It seems like what the occasion demanded was that Saul 
would wait. Isn't, isn't it funny? We talk about God solving your problems, God meeting your needs, and God giving you supernatural power. And do you realize that directly associated with each of those things is the concept of waiting? Waiting on the Lord, setting our resources, setting our understanding, setting our power aside in favor of God's. And how many of you know and understand that in relationship to each of those, God just doesn't, you know, snap his fingers and there it is. He's not the genie in the lamp. He's looking for us to wait, to sit at his feet. And in fact, we, we read that because from here in verse 8, we read that Samuel instructs Saul to meet him in Gilgal to the east, but he's to wait for seven days, a week after which Samuel would come and offer sacrifices. He would go and wait. Go and wait for the two men that would confirm to him that his dad's donkeys were fine, but that the family was worried about Saul. He would go and wait for the three men with the goats, the bread and the wine. And he would go and wait a whole week to meet Samuel at Gilgal. Waiting was a big part of God's plan and path for making a king for making Saul into the king of Israel. And it's a particularly important part of his plan for growing and maturing you and I. So this morning, we can pause and ask ourselves, how am I doing in waiting in my life? How am I doing with the areas where God wants to build patience, where that's the thing I want, but, but there's some obstacle between me and it, and God is saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to wait. How are you doing right now? Most of us do not like to wait. <laughs> I don't like to wait. Yesterday we died. I wasn't going to tell this. Well, now we'll tell the story. Yesterday was our fourth and final Christmas that we celebrated as a family. I don't know about you, but it takes four of them for us to get them all down. And, uh, and, and we were meeting family out in Riverside at my cousins and aunts. And, um, and I had run and done some last-minute shopping. And, uh, and my wife was making mashed potatoes. And I, like a good patient husband, was brushing her and saying, we need to leave. We need to leave now. We're going to be late. We should have left a half hour ago. And she finishes the mashed potatoes. And they're beautiful. They're lovely. They smell great. And I scoop up the container. And I'm, you know, t uh, calling to my daughter, dear sweet child, come quickly. And, uh, and I go into the garage, and I'm, and I'm trying to open the door to the car, and I'm balancing the mashed potatoes, which is hot, and there it went, all the mashed potatoes. 20 people worth of mashed potatoes all over the garage floor, and we scraped it up. And they don't know, and no, I'm just kidding. They, they, they know. I, I texted my cousin a picture and said, just take your Christmas, and no, I'm just kidding. We get ourselves in trouble when we are impatient. We make messes, don't we? We don't like to wait, yet it's the very thing that Jesus has called us to. He called his disciples to in Acts 1 verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, to wait, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they probably thought, oh, okay, not many days, 50 days till Pentecost, right, from the resurrection. The power and person of God's Holy Spirit would come, but first God wanted these disciples to wait. I'm reminded of these words of the prophet Isaiah, found in chapter 40, verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord 
shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But first comes the waiting. Waiting forces us to slow down, to sideline our own abilities to look to God. Now, in many ways, uh, these nine verses beyond a clear description of the anointing of Israel's first king are an illustration of the change that God wants to bring about in our lives by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit working in us. And before we move on uh, to the latter half, the second half of this chapter, I want to read three verses again that, that talk about this. Verse 1 is, is the first and introduces us to this concept. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not because... The Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance. This was the practice in ancient Israel. In, in Exodus chapter 19, the priests would be anointed, as would those implements and objects that were used in service and worship of the Lord in the tabernacle and the temple. But in those days, it's not like we do today, according to James 5, anointing with oil for prayer. They would actually take a container of oil and pour it over the head of the person that they were anointing, and the oil would flow down over it. Psalm 133 describes that. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, speaking of Aaron the priest, running down on the edge of his garments. This, this oil is going from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. That's the picture in imagery there. As we'll see clearly in 1 Samuel chapter 10, and as the Bible illustrates elsewhere, this oil is the picture of a spiritual reality and need. The filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. That God, that the Spirit would indwell our lives and equip us to become the people that he's called us to be, just, just as is shown through Acts chapter 1 when Jesus said, wait, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would be empowered to be my witnesses. We'll, we'll touch on that again. In this case, Saul, the king of Israel, is being equipped and empowered. Saul would not come naturally by God's calling on his life, and neither do we. And if we're ever tempted to think, well, I, I'm really gifted in this area, I do, I do really good. And, and sometimes if we do do good in a specific area, there's an extra danger that we go, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, the Lord saved me because I can do that. Whoa, wait a minute. Anything positive and healthy that comes through you and I it, it needs to be because God, by His Spirit, is working through us. The, one of the clearest pictures is that we would be like a glove, and, and we need to allow ourselves to be filled with God's hand, but apart from Him, we can't. We can't do anything. God wants and needs to change us into someone completely different from who we are Saul, we're going to find, went through a radical change in chapter 10. God is wanting to bring about radical change in your lives and in mine. 
First Peter 2.9 talks about this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, that is kings and priests, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that takes the filling and empowering of the person of his spirit. Now, the second verse we want to look at is, is verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with him and be turned into another man. So first we find that, that Saul is anointed with oil by the prophet. It's poured over his head. We have this picture of the Holy Spirit on his life. But then secondly, he's told, you know, you, you are going to prophesy. You're going to be changed into a completely different person. As we'll read shortly once he'd been anointed with oil, he, he did, in fact, do that. He needed this change. The pouring of, of the oil really had only pictured ahead of time the actual experience and transformation that was going to take place later in Saul's life when the, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And, and we might read that and ask, you know, knowing our New Testament, well, was Saul saved or born again at this time? And, and no, that, of course, was not possible then as Jesus had not yet come and died on the cross and risen again. This was a transformation, yes, but an exterior anointing only. Saul was being gifted with a, a special mantle. Uh, he, he was very literally being changed and equipped to think and act in keeping with his calling to lead his people as king, because on his own, he was insufficient for this task. Now, today, we need the equipping, the filling of the Holy Spirit that we might be changed, equipping to be the men and women that God has called us to be, because we can't do it on our own strength. Jesus put it this way early in his ministry in John chapter 7, and he actually spoke about the Holy Spirit that he was going to send and, and who would fill his people before the Holy Spirit was even given. This was long before Pentecost. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood. He was in the, the temple uh, complex precinct saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This might be a good place to ask ourselves this morning, am I thirsty? Was I thirsty this morning? Did I come to the Lord in this way? God, I, I, I know you, I know you through your Son, but now I'm just wiped out, I'm tired. Would you fill me afresh? Now, when we give our lives to Jesus, when our sins are forgiven, when we're born again, God's Spirit, He comes and He fills our lives. But, but, but there's something of a daily and, and perhaps we could also say a moment-by-moment -moment experience that's been had and has been offered to us that, that we can come to the Lord and ask afresh, God, would you fill me again? That I would experience the, the Holy Spirit welling up in me such that my need is met, but then others are impacted as well. It's this, this overflowing. Jesus reminded the disciples of, in, of this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria 
and to the end of the earth. When we, recognizing our need and desperation, ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit, God gives abundantly and our need is supplied, even overflowing from our hearts and lives. Others are impacted through our living, but also through the words that we speak. Now, finally, in looking at Saul's anointing, verse 9, so it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart, and those signs came to pass that day. The oil was poured out on Saul. He was changed into another man. He, he prophesied. He spoke the word of God. And we read here in verse 9 that God gave him another heart. After Samuel had, had anointed Saul with oil and foretold the three things that he would encounter, something more happens. Saul is given this, this new heart. Now, again, not a regenerated heart, but a new mentality and perspective. He's equipped and he's gifted to be the man that God desires for him to become. Not unlike when Solomon prayed for wisdom to lead God's people, the Lord answered that prayer, of course, didn't he? He gave him wisdom in abundance because he wasn't sufficient on his own. God is gifting Saul with a new mind and capacity, a kingly mantle. And so this internal change began in Saul, equipping him for God's special calling on his life, a work that while invisible to the outside observer, was very much real in the heart. But God starts on the inside and he works to the outside. Eventually, that work would become evident, just as is true for you and I. Now, while for Saul, these changes, though transformative, weren't eternal or touching salvation, for us, they are. When we place our faith in Christ and are filled with God's Holy Spirit, we are regenerated and we, we do receive an entirely new heart and identity. We can read these verses this morning and find encouragement, but, but be blessed that we get to go beyond what Saul's experience was. I was praying through this this morning as I was getting ready for the day and, and having a little bit of a hard time doing so, frankly. Sometimes Sunday mornings are a little bit of a grind to get my brain and heart connected and, and prepared to, to come in and, and be ready to serve and minister. And I was asking the Lord, fill me walking through a lot of what we've just been talking about. And, and I was reminded of these three verses in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And I prayed, Lord, would you anoint me? Would you give me a new heart and mind? Equip me to prophesy. Would you change my heart? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. The author of Hebrews, he actually quotes from the prophet Jeremiah. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he added, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So while Saul may have received a, a new perspective, a kingly mantle and mentality, wisdom to lead God's people, a shift away from being somebody who was just chasing donkeys to one who would lead Israel from, from the, the throne, 
you and I experience something far more dynamic where God lifts us up from living in this, this earthly, fleshly sense to having a dynamic kingdom, an eternal perspective where we see beyond our limitations and our own resources and we're living, leaning not on our own understanding, but, but instead trusting in the power and the ability of God to work in and through us. In John 14, verse 16, Jesus, we again read of him promising this very thing, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, briefly... Why doesn't this stick for Saul? Why did he struggle so much? Because, spoiler alert, for those of you that have not read First and Second Samuel, you're not sure where this is going, unfortunately, this does not last for Saul. The kingdom will eventually be stripped from him, and uh, God will raise up David as king over Israel. Why? Well, as was true, well, rather as is true today, it was also true then, a, a heart has to be maintained, doesn't it? We don't, just, we don't just give our lives to the Lord once and then it's, it's fine, I'm just going to grow without any effort or I'm never going to struggle with sin again or, or I'm going to stay at that static state. No, there, there's, there's got to be an active engagement on our part with the Spirit of God and the Word of God in our lives, a purposing to follow Jesus daily, just as then there had to be a purposing on Saul's part to submit himself to the law of God, which he did not. Humility and dependence on God have to be cultivated. Dependence on the Holy Spirit, it, it has to be a daily experience. How many of us know that? I, I hope most of us do. That if our expectation is that, that we can go a week or weeks or months without, without spending time in the book, without being on our knees before the Lord, without pouring out our hearts in desperation and dependence, asking to be filled afresh, that our eyes might be open, that we might understand, that we might be equipped to live as God's called us to. If that's not a daily experience in growing and increasing, we are surely moving backwards and away from our Lord and Savior. We cannot expect to grow apart from that kind of daily dependence. It's true that what God gave Saul, it's, it's not the, the same as what we receive in Christ. It's, it's different. Saul's anointing, it, it wasn't as invasive or as transformative of what, as what we have in Jesus Christ. But, but what he was given, it could have been preserved, and, and it could have grown, and, and it needed to be. But Saul chose self-will and dependence on God excuse me, but Saul chose self-will and sin over dependence on God and growth in humility. Now, in that sense, our New Testament experience is similar. Again, 
All struggle is not eliminated from our lives the moment that we're saved, is it? No. When we're, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we cry out to God to be filled afresh, we have to purpose to walk in these realities. And that's what the Bible calls sanctification, right? When we're first born again, that's justification. That's our, our positional reality before God, that we are justified. Our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But, but you could say and agree with the Apostle Paul in keeping with his writing in the book of Romans that we are being saved. That is our sanctification, the daily outworking of these realities in our lives. And one day we will be fully saved. Our salvation will be entirely realized when we are glorified. That's glorification. That's when we take our last breath on earth and our first in the presence of God and we receive our glorified bodies and are free from the presence and power of sin. But here in this life, we have the ongoing experience of sanctification, our cooperation with the working of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're called to walk in agreement and in concert with God's Spirit in us. A moment-by-moment cooperation. A choice to be emptied of self. I, I read that speaking to a large audience, D.L. Moody, he was an evangelist from the 19th century. Some of you are familiar with him. But he held up a glass as he was speaking, and he asked, how can I get the air out of this glass? And one man shouted, well, suck it out with a pump. And Moody replied, that would create a vacuum and shatter the glass. And after numerous other suggestions, Moody smiled, picked up a pitcher of water, and filled the glass. There, he said, all the air is now removed. He then went on to explain that victory in the Christian life is not accomplished by sucking out a sin here and there, but by being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're emptied of sin and self when we choose in dependence and thirst and need to cry out to be filled with the living water of the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll do our best to move quickly through the final three sections of this chapter, which brings us to the return of the king. You know I had to do that. Verse 10, when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. And we're reading, of course, the fulfillment of what Samuel had foretold. Verse 11, and it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? Those who knew Saul could not help but see a difference. Something had changed about this man. Some of you have lived that experience out in Christ. The change that the Spirit of God brings in our lives, it ought to be visible to those around us as well. There should be somebody in your life who says, wow, you've never apologized to me before. That's, that's really different. What, what's changed about you? Or, or my, you, you seem so joyful or something is different. Are people asking? Are people noticing? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Verse 12, then a man from there answered and said, but who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servants, where did you go? Where have you been this whole time? So he said, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. Thought we'd go to a prophet and he could tell us. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. And it might seem strange to us that Saul didn't disclose to his uncle everything that had just happened. I don't know, maybe he was familiar with the story of Joseph in Genesis, and he thought, I'm not, I'm not going to tell what, what's happened. We'll just let what's going to be be. Maybe that was it. I don't know. He keeps it all inside, only revealing the bit about the donkeys, Maybe he felt it was pointless since he was home anyway, because again, there was no palace built. Uh, there, there was no stationery. He didn't have cards, you know, to hand out to people. It maybe just seemed a little bit uh, surreal. I, what am I going to tell people? It's, I have nothing really to show for it that everyone would know soon enough. Verses 17 through 23, we find Samuel calling for Saul to be publicly coronated, the king in hiding. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up out Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And so there was sort of a drawing of straws or something like that uh, to determine of the 12 tribes, which was the one who had the king. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the, the drawing of straws is narrowing down. The family of Matri was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen but when they sought him, he could not be found. Now, I, we really don't know for sure why Saul was hiding among the baggage. We'll find out he couldn't be found. He didn't want to go forward when he was called as king. Some have suggested uh, it was just this kind of extreme humility, which may have been possible. I mean, remember, only a few days before, he was spending his time looking for donkeys, and now he's being called forward to be king. But also keep in mind the speech that was just given before Israel was introduced to him as their king. Saul, or Samuel, rather, basically exhorts and rebukes the people. You didn't need a king, but you wanted a king. Here's your king. Imagine if it's you that, you know, <laughs> you look and it's your number that got, you won the bingo, right? Or whatever, the, the lottery. I like, I don't want to go stand up in front of people. They're going to be like, who's this guy? We don't want him. He's basically God's judgment on us or something. Anyway... They're going to have to track him down. Verse 22, therefore they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? Because they said, well, it's supposed to be a guy named Saul of the family of Matri of the tribe of Benjamin. That's a little odd. It's the smallest tribe in Israel, but okay. But the Lord answered, God spoke through someone and said, there he is hidden among the equipment. He's over there behind the, uh, the wagon underneath the luggage cowering, and they're like, oh, great, that's our king. Okay. So they ran and brought him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upwards. So he was, he was uh, taller than anybody, stood out. He had all the physical um, 
trappings of appearing to be a king. Now, lastly, we come to verses 24 through 27. Long live the king. Verse 24, and Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. So the people shouted and said, long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And we've spoken before of Deuteronomy 17 and the warnings and instruction that were given to the people regarding their king that they would eventually ask for and now have. And Samuel sent all the people away, everyone to his house. And Saul also went to Gibeah and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Gibeah will become the capital of Israel during the, uh, the reign of Saul, and it will not be until David is made king uh, that he will conquer Jerusalem, which was currently occupied by the Jebusites, and he'll make that the center of the kingdom. For now, Saul seems to be walking in the wisdom God has given him leading valiant men, and not answering the detractors, which actually shows a lot of wisdom. The, the Hebrew actually gives the idea that he acted as a deaf man, pretended that he didn't even hear it. Later we'll find when he has an opportunity to uh, pay them back, he doesn't even take advantage of it. So Saul is powerfully gifted, anointed, and equipped for this great job of leading God's people. For now, he's trusting the Lord. Our message is titled, The Making of a King. But we've also considered how and into whom God is making you and I. Just as it wouldn't be enough for Saul to have a one-time experience, he had to learn to live out the truth of God's word and working through his life Daily, we have to learn to live in in daily dependence on God's spirit, to live out the truth that God is teaching us in his word, to walk in the light, to grow. It's not enough to have a powerful experience, to have an emotional encounter with God at one time. Growth and change come through living out the realities of God's word by the power of the Spirit of God. I'd like to close with Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Maybe the worship team can join me as we prepare to close with a, a final song. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. This last week I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's going through a particularly difficult trial in his life. And at one point he said and, and almost was, was blaming himself for having started the season of life that he's in right now with the wrong foundation. And I said, that's really not what Matthew chapter 7 means, friend. What, what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7 is what we do with the word of God in our lives 
every day. Our foundation is in Christ. And in that sense, this conversation is, is very much Philippians, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. We can talk about who God's making us to be, who he's called us to be, and, and the power he's offered us by his Holy Spirit, and be discouraged about the past, be discouraged about our failures. But the good news is, is that in Christ we are a new creation. And today is the day of salvation. Today is a new day. It's not about the failure of yes, not about the mashed potatoes on the garage floor of yesterday. It's about God's grace today. Those potatoes are gone and we move forward, all right? doesn't matter in so much as the blood of Jesus cleanses, covers, washes, and liberates us to the future that God has called us to today. God's calling you and I to be a people who would surrender to him afresh. Lord, I want to be moldable in your hands. I want to be the man. I want to be the woman that you are calling me to be. I want to, I want to invite again, God, your Holy Spirit to fill my life to overflowing. And I want to give free reign to you to mold and shape and change using, using the sword of your spirit to cut away those things that are not right. To order my life that I, I would be the person you've called me to be, that I would honor you and trust you. Why don't we pray and we'll, we'll close in prayer. Excuse me, why don't we stand? That's what I meant to say. It's that second cup of coffee still depriving me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning that it is living and active. Lord, that it is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. And I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see where you are directing us today. That, Lord, those areas where we might be prone to resist, God, where our heart, maybe we've allowed it to grow hard. Maybe we've leaned on our own understanding. Look to our own resources. We're, we're reveling in what happened 20 years ago or 10 years ago or two years ago or a week ago instead of looking, God, to receive from you today. Lord, we want that fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We want to come to you thirsty. And I'd like to take just a brief moment here. I know we're going over a minute or two, but this morning, if as we come to the end of the message, you find yourself thirsty, struggling, dry, would you just ask? Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flood rivers of living water. If that's your desire this morning, you just raise up your hand where you're at, and I'm going to pray with you. Yes, 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 many of us. Father, for those of us that would just lift our hands and say, God, I'm dry, I'm thirsty, I'm weak, and I need your power that you've promised, would you anoint me? Would you give me a new heart? Would you change me into a new man, a new woman? God, baptize me afresh in the power of your Holy Spirit. Cleanse my sin. Lord, that my life would be ordered according to your spirit, that you would give me the power to walk in your word, that I might follow Jesus today. Lord, that you would encourage hearts, that you would build up lives. In Jesus' name, amen.